Ice, an honor and a pleasure, lifelong listener to your work. But we were set up to talk about My Legacy Voice. Uh, how did that partnership come about? You are a brand advocate, correct? Uh, yeah, you know, um, my partner, Mickey Benson, He a lot of people bring different things to him. They go, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And most of the stuff, Mick shoots down. Mick's like, nah, nah. Because at this point, everybody's got a bright idea, you know? And, you know, we, we try to pick things that we think are really going to have legs and, you know, really match me. So yeah. they came with this thing about vocal clones. So I was already in, I, I was familiar with the deep fakes and all yeah. that stuff. Somebody has deep faked me already. It got me as a wrestler. I'm like, yo, this shit is coming. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, but it's going to sound robotic, you know? So he says, hey, well, give him a try, you know, because I know this is the future. And so um, I got with the people from Legacy and they were like, you know, they were pitching it, pitching it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they gave me this clone of my voice, like that they pulled off a different, I didn't even do a recording and they took stuff that I had done, I guess interviews or something. And I'm listening to this shit. Have you, you heard my clone? Yes, I've had the pleasure. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, yo. So I start playing it to my homeboys. They're like, that's you. I'm like, stop lying. And I'm like, yeah, this is me. Like this shit is really a next level thing. Mm -hmm. So what happens is uh, I go to Arizona and I do the official recordings because to get the real clone, you read um, a script that they have, which is about two pages of weird words, different things you say, and then you read it serious, you read it happy, you read it a different way. This way they really give a, a foot, uh, like a, a, a print of your voice. Yeah. And then it's, they just take it to the bank. I mean, and there's a lot of applications to it. The first thing I was concerned was how well do they control it? And they say, no, this thing is locked. The only person that can get access to it is you or anyone else you put on the account. Like when I pass, my daughter might have access to it. My wife might have access to it. But I just believe it's the beginning of everything. I think we're, we're going to be totally cloned as human beings. Uh, they've done um, the holograms of Tupac where he performs in concert. Right. <clears throat> like this could have been used. I, I was on um, Rick and Morty. Yeah, on Adult Swim. Great show. Right. And Rick and Morty, I was unable to do my voice because uh, I was in Europe on tour at the time. And to me, they're like, nah, because cartoons will drag you. <laughs> you know what I'm they're like, no, we're fans. And everybody was kind of let down because it wasn't really my voice. This would have been a perfect example to send in, you know, the vocal clone and just have them like just put the script on there and this thing is going to sound just like me. So there's millions and millions of applications that it can be used for. And uh, they have it to a science. They have it to, I just see it as being the future. So of course I wanted to get involved. Right. 
that is why when we describe what you are, I so like, is he an actor? Is he a rapper? Is he an entrepreneur? We don't know what to call you anymore. In, in fact, what do, what do we call a you? A hustler. Ice-T is a, a hustler, a hustler. You know, I came right out the streets. You know, when you're a hustler, you're looking for ways, you know, to provide, you know, whether it's illegal, whatever. So now I don't break the law anymore. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a risk to myself anymore. I, I gave up. I don't even jaywalk, but I'm still always looking for something new. Like me and Snoop Dogg are kind of like in competition. We're like, okay. And what happens is opportunities start to come to you. People say, oh, this would be a good fit. And at some point as an artist or a musician, you want to see, can I create a secondary flow of income that's not connected to music. What happens when I can't make music? Right. You know, um, who knows, you know? So I, I, I just try to find and pick cool things that I think will last. A lot of times being an entertainer, you can connect to a lot of stuff, but it won't, it'll just fall apart. This thing right here has no options. This thing is gonna go. And um, I know that Legacy, they know, well, Ice-T, one thing I do have is credibility and integrity. And I think other artists are going to go, well, Ice has done it. I might want to mess with it. Right. Well, you said the name Snoop Dogg. And I put you, Snoop, and Dwayne Johnson on the list of the three people that everyone likes. Yet you go, so what do you actually know about that person? <laughs> and they go, well, well, I like their smile. And <laughs> Uh, so I'm curious when in your life and career you started to notice that you had fans that didn't really know your music. Because keep in mind, hey, Body Count, I grew up on that. That was the first time I heard cursing in music, and I thought that was cool because I was a kid. Right. Well, you got to understand, I've been on Law & Order now going on 24 years. Yeah. Well, if you're under 24, I've been on television your entire life. Yeah. So a lot of young kids, they don't have any reference point to my music. Most of the body count fans aren't kids. They're cats that grew up with it and they still fuck with it. Yeah. But um, thank God for YouTube. I mean, YouTube, you know, the thing of it is my era of hip hop, the parents are cooler than the kids. So <laughs> my era, my, my, the, their parent is like, hold up, hold up. I don't know who you like in rap. You're going to watch Run DMC. You're going to watch NWA. You're going to see Ice-T. So we with YouTube kind of force feed our generation onto the kids. You're gonna watch New Jack City with me. You're gonna see, yeah. you know, and um, that has opened a lot of kids' eyes to like, oh wow, Ice actually was a rapper back in the day. Still does it now, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I've transcended so many different decades yeah. that I have a lot of different Fans, the cool thing about me, though, is you can meet somebody with a full head of gray hair and they'll tell you they were a break dancer because hip hop's 50 years old. Hip hop is, is not a new thing. So no. you can never really pick my fan out of a crowd. You can't. I mean, you know, the oldest lady, like, I love Ice-T. I watch him on SVU. Or yeah. I grew, I, I went to body, I used to be in the pit. You know, like, so when you get to live long, you get a lot of different fans. 
Yeah, well, speaking of that, a friend of mine who clears samples for a living told me that as of yesterday, she cleared a, a sample of colors for the Jeezy album that's coming out later this month. So what is that, four generations of fans now? Yeah, Young Jeezy. The thing of it is hip-hop, the, the trick with hip-hop, I heard that song too. Because when they clear samples, they got to send it to the person. Of course, I'm a big fan of Jeezy. And... um. What I was going to say is that the trick with hip hop is the first word is hip. So a generation of hip hop will go by in like five years. Yeah. You know, so whoever was little now, they can't even put little on their name no more because they, they're babies now. <laughs> right. You go from, I, I say the target audience of hip hop is 15 to 25. That's, that's when the new kids come in the game. Mm -hmm. Once you graduate to 30, you're old in hip hop. <laughs> you're old. You can't yeah. you can't call yourself a kid anymore and stuff. And so now we've got rappers in their 40s, 50s and 60s. But I think hip hop is still even at 50, still going through growing pains that rock and roll went through where, you know, at certain point, people are like, well, when do you stop rocking? Well, we've proven now that you know, uh, Mick Jagger's 72, there's rap singers that are in their 70s. It never stops as long as you're willing to stay in it and keep the energy. I was just out on the road with Kiss last week, Kiss and Alice Cooper, rocking the crowds. You know, they've still got... So one thing about music, though, music is the fountain of youth. It's the fountain of youth in two senses. When I hit the stage, and I'm singing colors, I'm 18 years old. Because to sing that song correctly, I have to go back to that mind state of the gangbanger. Right. I ain't no gangbanger. I'm, I've, I've been past, but to do it right, to sing a love song, you got to think you were in love. You got to go there. Now, right. the fans, they go back to where they were when they heard the song. They, they go, man, I didn't even have a car. So it, it, music transports you back in time and it's a beautiful thing. Well, another project of yours that changed things in my humble opinion is your contributions to the Judgment Night soundtrack, which was combining rappers with metal bands and you worked with Slayer on that along with the Body Count team. When you were part of that soundtrack, did you know it was going to change things or is that a, hey, here's a check, here's your recording time, go. Now, I kind of had an attitude about that because when they came at me at the time, they said, we're connecting rock bands with rappers. I'm like, I got a rock band. Like Body Count had already been out and established. So yeah. I was like, why don't you put a rapper with us? Like we should be the rock part of it. So I, I kind of felt like they were trying to put me back into, you know, not, not giving me credit for being a rock band also. But then when they told me it was Slayer, it was over because Slayer doesn't do duets. Right. I'm one of the very, very few, few people that have ever, ever done anything with Slayer. So, and then Rick Rubin was producing it. So this was like very comfortable for me and got in there with Tommy and, 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 and all the cats. And, and uh, it was a crazy experience. They got pictures and footage of that 
recording session. And then the yeah. fact that they wanted to do exploited records and they merged them all into one song. It was this original, original, original. Now the whole Judgment Night soundtrack with people like Booyah Tribe and you know Everlast and them were on there. That was a great thing, but it was a natural. It was a natural because both musics contain a lot of rain, rage. They both contain, uh, how would you say, controversial or aggressive yeah. lyrics. So it worked. <laughs> yeah. And then they copied it for the music supervisors, copied it for two more soundtracks. There was one that was techno artists and rappers. Then there was the loud rocks thing. I think it kind of spawned a genre. And I didn't know if you look back at that as a career highlight or it's just people like me bring it up from time to time. Nah, that wasn't a big, I think the career highlight was me working with Slayer. That was, that was a big moment for me. I mean, later on, we actually covered Slayer for Rain and Blood, but just to be connected to one of the groups that inspired Body Count Sound, you know? Body Count is a mashup of Slayer, Suicidal, and Black Sabbath. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was, it was, it, it made, it validated me. You know, like if you, if you're gonna go out and you're gonna base your, your music off of a group and that group thinks you suck, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, anything happening on the musical end for you besides some great touring every now and then? Um, we're working on a new album. We're working on Merciless, the new Body Count album. Uh, Will Putney's producing again. Um, we've had three consecutive great albums working with Will. He understands. I call him the Dr. Dre of uh, metal because he has the ability to produce different groups but make them sound like themselves, but just better. And um, we did we did Carnivore, uh, and the right the when our first date of touring was supposed to start, COVID hit. Right. COVID hit, shut down all the stateside tour, thirty five European festivals shut down, and you know we didn't really get to really perform the album. We didn't get to go out, and that kind of sucks because you kind of don't. You make albums to perform them. You don't make yeah. them just. And we won the Grammy on that one. That was great. That was a great accolade. It kind of took kind of the sting out of dropping an album to like a, a dead scene. It, it, it took the sting out of it. But then the label's like, okay, we'll do another album. I'm like, wait a minute. We, we didn't even really get this one out good. But I'm in the studio now. I've done uh, six songs. Um, usually when I do songs, I'll do six, I'll do the songs, but I don't complete them. Mm -hmm. So I, like, if it's going to be three verses, I'll sing two. And then I kind of live with them to maybe that way I can, you know, think about how I want to end this song and how I want to change it up. So I did six songs that everybody likes. So I'm at a point now when I first used to do albums, I would do like 20 songs mm -hmm. and then try to pick 12. Now I almost picked the song. I'm very difficult to, to find the music. So by the time I pick 12, those are the 12 songs. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not doing a whole bunch of recording just to find that. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm like that photographer that knows how to just wait until the right moment to take the picture. Okay, that's one. Two versus the guy. I don't feel. I don't. Um, 
I don't need to do that. So the Merciless album is sounding pretty hard, though. It's pretty, we named the motherfucker Merciless. So uh, it, 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 I'm, I'm hoping to have it complete before the new year mm-hmm. uh, so that we could drop it next year and be ready to tour in the summer. I'd have to imagine the fact that you're recording fewer songs and writing fewer songs also has to do with the fact that you know that there's going to be a next album and you've done this a lot of times before. So it's not a, oh, I hope this album really hits because you have the foresight to go, well, if this one doesn't, the next one will. No, it's not like that though. Honestly, it's not like that because making albums are, are, it's kind of scary. It's kind of like, how do I explain it? It's like, okay, you make an apple pie and everybody likes the apple pie and it sells a lot. So now you got to make another pie, but it can't be apple. It's got to be just as good as the apple one. So you make a cherry apple one and it sells just as good as the apple and everybody loves it. But now you got to make another one, but it can't be apple and it can't be cherry. So you make a blueberry apple. Okay, so now I'm ran out of flavors. It's like, you're scared to make the lime pie. You like, you like, fuck it. If you do the apple again, they say, oh, you just read. So it, it now you're at a place where, and then also, if the last album was a hit, do you want to make another record and it not be a hit? Do you want, or do you want to retire like Floyd Mayweather and just have a bunch of albums that all hit and tour off of them indefinitely? Like Kiss doesn't need a new record. It's yeah, different. Kiss has gone both ways on that one, where they say we're never going to do an album again, and then they do an album again. Yeah, so I don't know, but I don't for a second think the stress is off. I'm just more difficult. Like I'm just more picky. Like they'll, I, I'm just more. It's more surgical. Let's say that it's more surgical. It's like I'm quick. I'm, I'll delete songs as we're making them, so I don't need to make twenty songs. Like I learned that from Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre will make records and he'll only put two verses on them because he's like, if these suck, why finish it? Hmm. I don't need to do a whole song. You know if this song sucks by the first, you know, minute. You know? So that's what that's how I'm working now. I'm like making them and then like, nah, nah, get off of it. Or maybe take these lyrics and put them on another track. But I, yeah, it's it's because I've been doing it for a long time. If I'm in there producing you and I'll tell you real quick, this song is garbage. Let's stop right now. (laughs) Now that you know to end the song, though, is there a lot of unreleased material in the archives of Ice-T? Nah. Nah, because the words, the words usually are are written right. Uh, It's a lot of music, but the music that I'm not using sucks. It's not, it's it's like, you know, we're pushing that to the side. The band, I, I forced the band to make the heaviest and the best music they possibly can. Like my whole thing was with my band is like, make music so good, I don't have to sing on it. Make music that you could come out and play instrumental and it would rock. If you can do that, then when I put the lyrics on, if I, I'll be fucking the record up if the record sucks. Even with hip hop, it's like, if you can make a track it's so dope that a DJ could throw it on with no words and the crowd keeps going. Yeah. That's the track. Now just put words on top of it. 
So in other words, I put a lot of pressure on the producers. Like, don't count on me. I'm counting on you. Give me something that will move that pit, that'll move the audience instrumental. Well, to recap what I've learned so far before I go into the last few questions here, <laughs> my legacy voice, brand advocate, you believe in it, you're a user. Absolutely. You see it potentially being integrated into many other apps and usages. One thing, one thing though, I don't think it's gonna ever be able to rap and I don't think it's ever gonna be able to sing. That's the two things. I don't, it, it won't, I don't know. Maybe, who knows, man? Like they have, now people are using um, uh, auto-tune and shit. They might be able to auto-tune it into a robotics song. I don't know. I don't know. But before you say any more, trademark <laughs> it and, and see if you have the usage on that. And that'll probably work. <laughs> so next thing. You know, when I told people, hey, I'm talking to Ice-T, is there anything you want me to ask? One person said, oh, he's in my friend's McLaren club. Is that true? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not in a club, though, but um, the place out here in Jersey that sells McLarens, they do rallies occasionally, and, you know, it's a chance to go around. You know, the thing of it is, when you buy an exotic car, you can't really discuss it with a lot of people. It's like if you're into right. stamps. Stamp people are, are special people. So when you have a certain car, whether it's a Mini Cooper, if you get in a club, then you at least have people that exchange, interchange the same, you know, love for the car or whatever. So yeah, I've been out on a couple of rallies, so I guess I'm in his club. That reminds me, uh, one time I was on a press trip where they fly out the riders to write about destination. I'm in Cabo and there was this car rider and I mentioned a thing. He goes, oh yeah, me and the singer of Loverboy are in that club. I think it's, it's either a Porsche club or a Ferrari club. So I didn't know that there's all these kinds of clubs for cool people who own cool cars. Well, there's clubs for everything, you know? And you got, you got to find like-minded individuals. It's like you being a journalist hanging out with journalists. You know, you guys talk a different language that if you start talking journalists talk to somebody else they're like the fuck are you talking about like so when you you're in a mustang club you're like yo i got the 454 i got that and, you, and, and that other guy's jacking off like yo yeah and then somebody else is like why are you talking about this so you find these little groups of people that appreciate what you appreciate and it's fun to be around them next question or topic the movie fear of a black hat <laughs> did you like it or hate it not that it was funny because you were obviously inspired rusty kondiev's lead character in that yeah no I, I mean the thing of it is is like you gotta have you gotta have a sense of humor man you gotta understand that you know that laughing at stuff is, is one of the best things you know i've heard people do impressions of me i'm like yo don't get me in trouble man with that but, you know but now, it, it, I like I like the movie. It was funny. Also, I was in CB4. Yeah. Kind of a, a, a play on hip hop and stuff. Uh, Who's the man? There have been a lot of little movies that use rap as a background to it. So, no, I thought it was funny. Do you think that John Mulaney's routine about you is funny? Yeah. You know, the funny thing about John Mulaney, um, John Mulaney used to have a TV show. Yeah. And Laney, it was great. And I did the intro to it. Yes. And, and it said, they had me go in. I wrote, I said, John Mulaney's show is shot in front of a studio audience. 
So then they call me back up and they go, we need to change it. I'm like, why? They said, because when you said shot, it sounded like you he got shot in front of a studio audience. We need to say filmed in front of a studio audience. I'm like, that shit's funny. I mean, you know, the fact of it is, is that, you know, you could tell the difference when someone's maliciously trying to talk shit about you. It's yeah. a real, it's a real big difference. And John Mulaney just made me more famous. People laugh. People, oh shit, oh ice, he got you. You know, uh, uh, um, Mike Epps had a little skit about me in his comedy act. You know, but that obviously means John watches the show. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And He's and, a fan. He, and and my character is you know is funny. You know, some of the stuff they got me saying and doing. So I rock with it. Yeah. Down to the last two here. Your episode of Behind the Music, what cracks me up about it is it's probably the only one where you don't feel bad for the person based on the success of the last 25 years of their life. Like it never gets pathetic for you mm -hmm. after you get out of poverty and you start your career. It's like, and then he worked a lot. Mm -hmm. and then he conquered this field and then he found love. <laughs> Did you have any hesitation to doing behind the music being that you kind of defied the formula? Now, when you do those shows, they just tell the truth, you know, and, you know, I guess my my hard part was really cop killer, you know, when they tried to take me out. But, you know, they're looking for a down moment. They're looking for something, but they did not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, I never got on drugs. I never went down. I never lost all my money. But there was a time, you know, I think the, the weirdest part of my life was when my hip hop records stopped selling as much as they did. And there was a, a I'll say a month where I was pretty like, what the fuck, you know, because I was used to selling half a million million records. But then I had to grab myself. I'm like, wait a minute. Public Enemy's not selling records. Right. Um, Big Daddy Kane's not selling records. Rakim's not selling records. Wu-Tang Clan, all the groups I really admired. And I was like, okay, this is a paradigm shift. Things are changing and uh, don't take it personal, you know? And I'd say weather this out, you know, because hip hop went into this ringtone mode and it it just changed. But like we said, the generations switch every five years. So, yeah, you know, I got caught in that shift. But, you know, we pushed right through it and we're still here. The last question before I let you go, you've mentioned some great rock artists in this conversation. Talk about Kiss and Alice Cooper, Slayer, etc. I am very slowly writing a book about David Lee Roth. Did he ever encounter you or did you ever see him at Crazy Girls or anything like that? Nah, you know, David Lee Roth was the biggest star on MTV when I first came out. And the thing of it was, the California video, Girls video was such a blockbuster video that when I came out, people thought I was lying. <laughs> when I came out, they were like, come on, man, L.A. gangs, what are you talking about? L.A. is David Lee Roth. I mean, he had made everybody believe that girls in L.A. walked around in bikinis and, you know, it was just beautiful palm trees. That video paints L.A. as a everybody wanted to go. And then here I am saying you can get shot. So 
for a while, especially in the UK, they would always bring up that video and tell me how much of a faker and a poser I was. Eventually, I got, um, you know, vindicated, and yeah. no one. And ever since then, I I kind of think because a lot of people call me a liar out the gate, people have decided never to call me a liar again. You know, so in some way, I had my little trial by fire, and they they but but it was all because of fucking David Lee Roth, you know, but. I was a fan, you know, I was a fan, you know, of, of him when he was in Van Halen and all that shit. And they had it. They, you know, they they had it going. Uh, jump, all that shit. I grew up off of that. That was MTV. That was the, the that was the when MTV was powerful. Yeah. You know, when it was super powerful. Outrocast. <laughs>